98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Police arrest a young Hong Kong activist under the new national security law. The number of confirmed coronavirus infections in the SAR passes 3,000. And it's looking more and more likely that the LegCo elections will be postponed. Police have arrested the former leader of the pro-Hong Kong independence group Student Localism under the national security law. Footage shared online shows teenager Tony Chung being escorted from his home in Yunlong. It's believed to be the first arrest by members of the police's new national security department. Student Localism announced last month that it was ending its activities in Hong Kong in light of the new legislation, but said members would continue their work overseas. Hong Kong has confirmed another 118 coronavirus infections, taking the total number of patients so far past 3,000. All but five of the new cases involve local transmission of the virus. A cluster at a care home in Chunmun is still growing, and another person who attended a party in Mong Kok earlier this month is now known to be infected. Health officials say preliminary tests on another 80 people have also come back positive, including four members of staff at Princess Margaret Hospital. Meanwhile, health authorities say they'll start moving some coronavirus patients to a temporary treatment centre at Asia World Expo from Saturday. A chief manager with the hospital authority, Sarah Ho, says this will free up isolation beds for more seriously ill patients. In general, mainly those younger patients, minor symptoms, we will start uh, to uh, send them to uh, AWE to have the checkup including the um, uh, clinical history and also chest x-ray and some, some blood tests. Sources say the government is looking at whether to postpone the LegCo elections for up to a year. The polls are slated to take place on September the 6th with the nomination period ending on Friday. But pro-establishment figures have been calling for the elections to be pushed back, citing concerns over the coronavirus pandemic. Executive Councillor Ronnie Tong says LegCo would still be able to function even if the elections aren't held for months. In the meantime, the chief executive can request the president of the Legislative Council to hold emergency meetings to deal with necessary uh, legislations or resolutions if and when the situation uh, requires. And when you do hold such an emergency uh, meeting, the outgoing legislators will continue to be uh, the lawful legislators as regards uh, those uh, emergency meetings. The convener of the pro-democracy camp in LegCo, Tanya Chan, says it would be premature to make any decision on the elections now as there are weeks to go before the scheduled polling day. The Civic Party lawmaker says a lot of people will find such a move to be quite suspicious. Without sufficient or profound medical basis, uh, I'm sure that uh, most people will assume that, it is, uh, that the decision is purely based on political agenda instead of any uh, practical and uh, medical medical reason. And you can see that there are lots of places or countries uh, which held a very large or national scale kind of election during coronavirus time. Hong Kong's economy shrank 9% year on year in the second quarter, despite an improvement in the coronavirus situation and an easing of social distancing measures during the period. Private consumption saw a record decline of 14.5%. The advanced second quarter GDP estimate is just a slight 0.1 percentage point better than the revised figure from the previous three-month period. ANZ Chief Greater China Economist Raymond Young says it's much worse than he expected. 
The number is clearly reflecting the very poor economic condition domestically, despite that the Q2 figure, uh, and we know that the number of COVID cases actually dropped throughout April to June, and there had been some relaxation of government tightening measures and health control measure in Q2, but we do see a sharp contraction in uh, the second quarter. That's a stark contrast with the Chinese GDP was growing 3.2% in the second quarter. Just define the very nature of the virus and economic impact, you know, on society is, is social distancing. And basically that also reflects the situation of Hong Kong with an international hub that relies a lot on international flows of, of passenger flows, tourism and event business. So You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Occupy Central founder Benny Tai says he'll appeal against his dismissal from the University of Hong Kong, describing his sacking as a blow to academic freedom. A fellow founder of the 2014 Occupy protests, Chan Kin Man, is also urging the university's governing council to explain its move, which he describes as shameless. Francis Sit reports. The University of Hong Kong's governing council voted to sack Benny Tai on Monday night over his convictions on public nuisance charges in relation to the 2014 Occupy movement. The associate law professor is already appealing against the convictions and says he will now challenge his dismissal as well. This appeal will be made to the university chancellor, Chief Executive Kerry Lam. In a statement, Professor Tai admits he doesn't fancy his chances, but says he can't let Mrs. Lam shy away from an incident that has dealt a blow to academic freedom. He says he's also in discussions with his legal team about launching a judicial review. Meanwhile, another founder of the Occupy protest, former Chinese University scholar Chang Kim Men, has expressed fury over the HKU Council's decision. The former associate professor in so it's not uncommon for academics around the world to be arrested due to their involvement in civil movements. But he says the firing of someone with tenure, like Benny Tai, is a very serious matter, as the tenure system is in place precisely to protect academic freedom. Professor Chan says the HKU Council only made the decision to let Professor Tai go out of political reasons after the University Senate, which mostly comprises of teaching staff, concluded that his dismissal was unwarranted. Benny Tai didn't commit any immoral act. After the Umbrella Movement, Benny Tai had been invited to so many different conferences and universities to give speech about the movement. There's no any hard evidence showing that the university reputation has been undermined. So I think this is a shameless move of Hong Kong University. It is a move to show that they have no respect at all to freedom of expressions. Professor Chan says he's not hopeful that Carrie Lam will overturn the sacking. The Council of Hong Kong University has made such a shameless decision because many of them are appointed by the government. It is not a body that can truly represent the view of the faculty members, the students, the alumni of Hong Kong U. So I don't think there's any hope if you appeal to someone that is Carrie Lam who appoint this council. He says the world is already watching Hong Kong to see what effect the new national security law has on the city. And the sacking of Professor Tai will only heighten concern among academics considering during research here. The University of Hong Kong Student Union has demanded the Governing Council rescind the decision to sack Professor Tai. It says the, the body has overstepped its authority and put politics before procedural justice. 
The union is also calling for a review of how the council is made up, saying it's problematic that lay members occupy more than half the seats and that several are appointed by the city's chief executive. The police say they're struggling to bring crime down in Hong Kong because protest-related violence hasn't subsided yet and more and more people are willing to break the law. The force also warns that the use of face masks in the community is allowing criminals to hide their identities. Vicky Wong reports. In an update on the crime situation over the first half of the year, the police say the total number of offences is up 28% on the same period last year or an extra 7,000 or so incidents. Violent crime is up 13%, the force says, and it blames protesters for hundreds of arson, criminal damage, public order and weapons offences. It says by the end of last month, 9,216 people had been arrested in connection with the protest movement, around 40% of them students. Almost 2,000 of them are facing prosecution, roughly a third on rioting allegations. And it's not over yet, the force warns, saying negative factors of violent incidents in relation to the anti-extradition amendment bill have not yet fully subsided, and disobedience to the law among some members of the public is growing. On top of this, it notes the economy is worsening and on the very day that wearing face masks outdoors becomes compulsory, the force says the widespread use of masks is enabling criminals to conceal their identities more easily. The result of all this, the police say, is that it's difficult in the short term for them to restore the law and order situation to the level seen before the protests erupted last summer. But they note that the authorities now have the national security law to help them prevent and suppress criminal acts and punish any offenders. Blue-collar workers have been scrambling to find places to eat now that restaurants are not allowed to let people dine inside. The ban, which is to help slow the spread of coronavirus, will be in place for at least a week. Priscilla Ng reports. Some restaurants in Admiralty placed out-of-service notices on their tables, while others cordoned them off altogether. Office staff were out buying takeaways, saying they would take their food back to their workplace. But for construction and other manual workers, it was a very different story. They ate their food standing outside the restaurants or simply on the side of the street. Some of them said the government's ban on dining in restaurants had just added to the difficulties they face. They said with no base like an office to go to, they simply can't find a decent place to eat. The chairman of the Hong Kong Construction Industry Employees General Union, Wong Ping, told an RTHK program that the takeaway only order means workers have to consume their meals outdoors, either on site or on the streets under the blazing sun. He said this deprives them of a chance to rest and cool down after working for hours in the sweltering heat. Mr. Wong warned this could be hazardous and increase cases of heat stroke. The head of the cleaning service industry workers union, Danny To, said the lack of places for cleaners to dine meant they might end up eating inside refuse collection points or public toilets. He said that could easily lead to serious illness. Priscilla Ng with that report. Singapore's Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong says he believes Western countries' reaction to the enactment of Hong Kong's national security law has been within Beijing's expectations. Extradition treaties have been suspended, the US has ended its special treatment of the SAR, and the UK is inviting up to 3 million Hong Kongers with BNO status to move there. Mr Lee told the Atlantic Council think tank that it's an unfortunate turn of events. It's most unfortunate because already there's enough menu of complications between the US and China's uh, bilateral relationship and this only makes things worse.
But from Singapore's point of view, we hope that somehow other Hong Kong will work through its problems. And we think it's better for Hong Kong and better for the region and Singapore. If Hong Kong is stable and calm and prosperous and able to play the role which it used to play, helping China to grow and to prosper as well. Mr Lee says he doesn't think the situation in Hong Kong will benefit Singapore and he'd much rather both places do well at the same time. There may be some movement of businesses out of Hong Kong, but I've never treated this as a very serious rivalry. I mean, a certain amount of friendly competition, yes, but the Asia-Pacific is a big place and there are many opportunities. And Hong Kong has its, its advantages being on the doorstep of China. Singapore has a different set of advantages being in the middle of Southeast Asia and with a broader footprint. So on balance, I would say I'd much prefer Hong Kong doing well than to have people looking for places to go out of Hong Kong. A former chief executive of the Monetary Authority, Joseph Yam, says he doesn't believe that growing Sino-US tensions will seriously affect Hong Kong's status as an international financial centre. At an Our Hong Kong Foundation seminar, Mr Yam said he can understand the argument that places like Singapore and Tokyo may benefit from the tensions, but he believes Hong Kong is best placed to facilitate transactions with the mainland, the world's second biggest economy. If everybody maintains a sensible mind, politics notwithstanding, then those business of financial intermediation will continue. Because for China, there is a need for financial, for diversification of investment avenues and diversification of funding sources to onto an international dimension. That's the same argument for investors and fundraisers in the rest of the world. That business will continue to grow. Now, where do you go to, you know, if you want to sort of conduct or carry out that business? I think Hong Kong is still the preferred place because after all, we are still the biggest and most efficient offshore renminbi market and the offshore centre for fundraising of Chinese enterprises. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. Police arrest a young Hong Kong activist under the new national security law. The number of confirmed coronavirus infections in the SAR passes 3,000. It's looking more and more likely that LegCo elections will be postponed. And Hong Kong's GDP drops 9% in the second quarter. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Political commentator Ma Ngoc says it remains unclear whether the LegCo elections will be put off by a year, as has been widely reported. The pro-establishment camp says a postponement is needed because of the COVID pandemic, while the opposition says the government's just trying to tilt the balance in its favour. But Professor Ma told Jim Gould there are much more factors in play beyond local politics. I think it depends on Beijing's decision. I, I think this, this is ultimately Beijing's decision because I don't believe that actually the Hong Kong government can make this decision alone and then uh, because it is likely to entail uh, Western sanctions because I think most Western countries will see this as a kind of a electoral manipulation to abandon kind of a democratic elections. Uh, which I think uh, a few uh, Western countries have already sounded out that they want the, the elections to go as scheduled. 
Do you think the COVID-19 situation would be a, a good enough reason for postponing it, uh, since countries like Singapore and South Korea have successfully conducted their own elections during the uh, pandemic? I do think it is a valid reason, because the government is allowing people to go to work and then uh, every day, and then they can take the subway, they can take the bus, uh, stand in long queues uh, in, on, at bus stops, and then, uh, and then they can't vote. And it just doesn't make sense to a lot of people in Hong Kong. So um, what sort of constitutional problems do you think uh, may arise if the elections are postponed? I think, of course, the basic law is that it's very clearly that the term of the electoral members are only four years. So uh, their term expired after uh, September. So if they ask the NPC or the NPCSC to step in, and then uh, it is almost tantamount to uh, rewriting the basic law to allow them to serve uh, an extra year, but, but which, of course, they have no mandate because uh, they were only voted in four years ago. And then if that is the case, that is, I, I think, uh, it, law, it will uh, bring a loss of confidence in the current government and also the whole institution. You mentioned the, the international reaction, uh, the, the possibility of uh, more sanctions, but, uh, I mean, how bothered do you think the central or the SAR government uh, would be about that? I don't know, but I think, as I said, it, I think it is Beijing's decision. Uh, I think it is, uh, they, they, of course, they are fearing that they will lose the majority control of the logical. And then, but I think, uh, uh, I don't see them uh, winning the election even after one year because I don't think the, uh, uh, it, the government is already having a bit more legitimacy than uh, if they postpone the election by one year on the grounds of the COVID-19, then I think it is not, go not actually going to help their uh, legitimacy and or popularity. Of course, the pandemocrats say the pandemic is, uh, is just an excuse. The real reason for a postponement would be to secure better chances for the pro-Beijing camp. Um, so what do you think about that? I think it is uh, possible, but uh, I, I, I'm afraid that there may be changing rules uh, in, in the next few months if the election is going to be postponed and then uh, there may, something may happen. But uh, other than that, I don't see a strong reason of postponing the uh, uh, election for uh, one year because uh, I've been at the of these uh, pandemic measures of the government only uh, last for like two weeks or three weeks and then see how it goes. I don't see why the, the election needs to be postponed by a whole year. The, the two weeks ago, the government was still thinking about holding the international book fair. Political commentator Mark Ox speaking to RTHK's Jim Gould. The Hong Kong Red Cross Blood Transfusion Service is urging donors to come forward saying the pandemic has led to a significant drop in blood collection. Its chief executive and medical director, Dr. Lee Chuck Kwong, says the situation is worrying as blood banks only have three to four days' worth of supplies left. He spoke to Priscilla Ng. Since the end of June to early uh, July, we have seen an uh, increasing case of COVID-19 and we have already seen some drop in the collection in the second week of uh, July. And for the past two weeks, we have seen a, a very low blood collection. We'll average about 200-something of donation received every day. So we're expecting around 500 donations that will be able to meet the clinical demand. But unfortunately, for the past 
past few weeks, we have only can manage to collect about 200 something of collection every day. So that's just around half of what you really need. Yeah, yeah. So uh, at the moment, our inventory is in a very low position. Well, we'll be able to cover about three to four days of uh, supply for the hospital. So we need to address this by calling the suitable uh, person to come for a donation. We are not expecting a lot of people come at, at one time because we understand that the, the pandemic is still severe in Hong Kong. We need to make sure that everyone is safe, they are safe to donate it, and the collector is safe to uh, use. So uh, we urge the uh, public to use our, our apps and also uh, to call up our donor center to make appointments so that the, the stay in the donation uh, venue will be uh, shorter and we can be able to serve them within the uh, uh, shortest time so that they, they, they are able to, to leave the center within the shortest time. Now, we've also heard a few cases in the past where infected people had donated blood and the blood was transfused into other patients. Yeah. Um, is that, And of course, people are concerned about you know donating blood that they may get infected. So what do you have to say to alleviate their concerns? Yeah. There are two, two areas I, I need to address. Mm. So basically, we have uh, made use of all the precautionary measures to uh, make sure that everyone come in the donation venue, including donor and staff are protected. So they need to wear a mask and they need to have a check the temperature and also use the hand rub to make sure they're clean. And of course, for donor, uh, we need to make sure that they have uh, not in contact with recent contact history of con- confirm the case and uh, also uh, not the travel history uh, and also for, for what I mentioned about the sh- uh, arrangement of booking and the shorter stay in the uh, donation venue that we, uh, we just want to make sure that they are they are safe to donate uh, so they, they won't have any chance to get the infection from our venue or the way they come to uh, towards our, our donation site. <laughs> the second is about the safety of the blood. Although at the moment we uh, do not have have any blood donation screening test for the virus, but with the uh, a lot of combination of the effort, we make use that the blood is safe for the clinical use. So the donor is safe, the environment is safe, everything is safe. According to what I uh, investigated from the, those case, that they have an uh, infection uh, reported after the donation. We believe that they acquired the infection after the donation, and all the donation samples, they, they were clear from the virus. There are no evidence of virus, so uh, we are not affecting any recipient. So uh, the chance of transient transmission is really, really remote, uh, unlikely to be happen. Lee Chuck Kwong from the Hong Kong Red Cross Blood Transfusion Service. A telecommunications company is partnering with a private hospital to let people book appointments with doctors and have video consultations via a mobile app. Hong Kong Telecom and Glen Eagles Hospital say people can speak to a doctor from their home or workplace using the app and within four hours any medicine prescribed or medical certificates needed will be delivered to their doors. The hospital's CEO Dirk Schraven says the service can help patients at a time when social distancing is critical due to the pandemic. Earlier in the year, we launched our virtual consultation service for existing patients of certain specialties. And this service has enabled us to provide patients who need to visit the hospital regularly with continued care during this pandemic. So we are pleased to be the first medical partner of Dr. Go, through which more patients can enjoy high quality and convenient virtual medical care from our doctors. 
and have their medication delivered to them amid their busy lives. Especially in these challenging times, this is a timely solution to patients' need. And with Hong Kong Telecom's expertise in telecommunications, I'm confident that telemedicine will be benefiting more and more patients. Hong Kong is again in virtual lockdown as it combats the third wave of COVID-19 infections. Schools are closed and people are working from home as far as possible. For many, that means inconvenience or possibly boredom. But for disabled children, the suspension of non-urgent healthcare services could have a profound impact on their development that may last long after the coronavirus becomes a thing of the past. Our reporter Maggie Ho interviewed two families. One has a baby with cleft lip and palate, and the other a girl who has lost most of her hearing. Because of social distancing, Maggie talked to them by video link, which means the sound quality is unstable at times. With Maxine, she's now 10 months old, and when she was born, she was born bilaterally deaf, severe to profoundly deaf in both her ears. That was Noreen, a colleague of mine at RTHK, talking about the condition of her 10-month-old daughter, Maxine, who's also known as Kipper. And his bone Chan, whose daughter Gabby is just a day older than Kipper. Yeah, she's Gabby, and she's also now 10 months old. And as you see, she, she's a calf lift and calf pad baby. <laughs> At 10 months, Kipper and Gabby are at what many would see as their cutest phase, curious and clumsy, and just starting to learn how to communicate with the world. But their conditions make this harder than it is for other kids. The, the lips is open right now, so um, it will affect uh, how to learn how to speak or make some voice. Uh, maybe A, B, C, D, she, she may not know how to speak and learn how to speak. <laughs> So right now she's got hearing aids fitted in both ears, but we're not sure how beneficial it is for her to hear. I mean, of course she can hear, but it, it's like, can you hear underwater? Instead of my name is Maxine, maybe she can hear. I Gabby could have undergone surgery as early as May to fix her lip and palate. But the coronavirus flare-up back then prompted Bone and his wife Dorothy to reschedule the surgery, as they hoped the situation would improve. They are now worried that Gabby may not be able to undergo an operation until after her first birthday, meaning she could be left behind in learning how to speak. If she cannot do the surgery before you one year old because it is the best time for her to learn to speak. So if this situation is keeps on, it's, it will affect her future on how to learn and, and we can foresee some problem. Uh, Learning how to speak. Yeah. For Kipper, therapy is being carried out by video conference, which Noreen and Kipper's father, Andy, say has been really helpful. But they say that without face-to-face -face assessment, experts can't advise them on whether she needs a cochlear implant. Because of the coronavirus, we're not able to go to the centre physically for any of the speech therapies or any of the individual classes, or even for occupation therapy or physical therapy. Um, everything is delayed. And the other impact of COVID-19 is, of course, mask wearing. Um, a lot of the cues uh, come from visual cues and lip reading, which she's had none of that input. And to add to that, she's she's severe to profoundly deaf. So she's just on the 
on the cusp. So we don't know whether or not she will need a cochlear implant. The, the, the cochlear implant is also uh, somewhat time sensitive. It should be done as early as possible, preferably before the first year. So that's kind of also adds to some of the anxiety around that in terms of will she need one? If she does need one, when can we get one? The uncertainties weigh on both sets of parents, although they stress that this is no fault of Hong Kong's public health care system, which has been swamped by the COVID-19 pandemic. I think it's quite nervous and because we don't know where is the next step, maybe it will delay more. And so now it's such a, like a situation that we can do nothing, just wait. I'll play, <laughs> play to the goddess. Actually, if she can do the strategy um, in, on, on September, but the virus is so strong, we're quite worried that uh, she in the hospital. Yes, if, if she have to stay in the hospital, we, we don't know uh, we can visit her for both of us or to visit our daughter together because of the social distancing or something. Because uh, you just want to do the best for your kids, really. And sometimes you feel like they're not getting the, the very best. Uh, and that isn't really anybody's fault. It's just the situation. It's, it's just not a good situation with COVID and there's going to be sacrifice everywhere. And unfortunately, I think this is one of them. Kipper's father, Andy, ending the story there. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. The secret of your youth. You led me to believe your only love to give me love. And now it hurts to know the truth. Oh, young girl, get out of my mind. My love for you is a way out of Just a baby in disguise And though you
And the track uh, Young Girl, the hugely uh, successful uh, single from uh, Gary Parkett and Union Gap in uh, 1968. We're going to move on to uh, the 70s. A track, uh, this uh, tune was um, originally appeared in the 1971 film uh, The Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and uh, performed by Sammy Davis Jr. here from... uh, Love and makes the world taste good. 